From the in-town Jewish Academy in Atlanta, Georgia, I am Rabbi Ari Solish, and this is Knowledge on the Deeper Side. In this podcast, we discuss the most inspiring and stimulating Jewish ideas, ideas that challenge the way you think and feel. To sponsor a class or episode, please visit intownjewishacademy.org slash sponsor. And now, on to the episode. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Daily Power Parsha, Monday, July 11, 2022. We begin a brand new Torah portion this week. The Torah portion is called Balak. Who's Balak? We're about to find out. Balak was a king. Balak was a king who hires an evil prophet to attempt to curse the Jewish people. Drama and oftentimes hilarity ensue um, or ensues things ensue. No, yeah, plural. Anyway, we're going to jump into the story. There is so much to talk about this week. As I always think about Mr. Rogers, right? Mr. Rogers, there's more to, um, there'll be things you'll want to talk about. And I will too, something like that. Anyway, all right, we're going to jump in. Bullock is brewing and this is going to be epic. Okay. So, sharing screen now, Torah reading for Balak. By the way, in Israel, it's Pinchas. You know, I wanted to speak about this actually over Shabbos, but I didn't end up speaking about this. Um, What I find fascinating, amongst many things in life, is that Israel right now is one Torah portion ahead of us. It's been so since Passover, um, because our last day of Passover, so uh, in the diaspora, we have an extra day of the holiday of Passover, so our last day was Shabbat, and therefore on that day, we read not the Shabbat reading, the normal Torah reading, we read a Passover reading. But Israel ended on Friday. Pa- their Passover ended on a Friday, which means that the next day Shabbat, they read the next Torah portion. So we're one week behind. And yet, here's what's crazy. Chukat and Balak, last week's Torah portion, this week's Torah portion, some years are joined together as a double portion, which means that we could have done a double portion this past week in the diaspora, we could have done Chukat Balak and caught up and all been on the same page for Pinchas. Some reason, I hope some of that, even a portion of that made sense. Anyway, I don't want to go over it. The point is that we have had multiple opportunities to catch up to Israel. And yet, for some reason, it's not yet the time. We will catch up at some point soon, but not yet. To me, you know, I was thinking about like, what's the message of that? Why do we want to have that? kind of uh, split in the Jewish world where Israel has one parasha that they're studying and reading and, and the diaspora has a different one, you know, outside of Israel has a different Torah portion. And I thought, I don't know, maybe, you know, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's another nod, another wink uh, to the power of diversity, that it's, you know, it's good to be on the same page. It's also okay not to be on the same page sometimes. It's okay. We can live with each other even if we're not studying the same Torah portion, Right? So, Ray, you call up your son in Israel and you want to discuss the parasha. He tells you that's so last week. And you're like, okay, good. But for us, it's this week. It's the way it is. Everyone's got their own. It's okay. Everyone's got their own, uh, their own timing. That's also okay. It's good to be on the same page. It's also good to have permission to not need to be on the same page as well. All right, just some thoughts. Um, Torah reading for Balak, we begin. Yeah. When do we... When will we go back to the same one and who decide that? 
Who decides that I have no idea when? I'm not sure either. It's going to happen in the next little bit where we catch up. Probably likely through a double portion that we have that they don't have. Um, I need to look at my calendar. I don't have my handy dandy calendar. Actually, um, that wouldn't help either. Um, um, I'm just trying to see if I can find something that's going to help. Nope. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know exactly when. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. But I think there's like four or five opportunities that we've had or that we will have had to to catch up that we will not be taking until it does catch up. So I, I'm sure this was set by, you know, the great, the great of the greats, you know, to figure out when that happens. But in my, I don't know, just my thoughts, maybe the power of diversity. You know, we can, uh, we can, we don't have to always be on the same page and we could still be okay with that. All right, let's jump in. Torah portion is Balak, at least for us. Numbers chapter 22, we begin with verse number two. Balak, the son of Tsipar. By the way, Tsipar in Hebrew means bird. Balak, the son of Tzipar, saw all that Israel had done to the Amorites. If you recall at the end of last week's Torah portion, the Jews had um, defended themselves and vanquished the Amorites. Sichon, the king of the Amorites, was slain, as well as Og, king of Bashan. Anyway, so Balak, the son of Tzipar, he is the king of the nation of Moab, and he is concerned. He's concerned. He sees all that Israel had done to the Amorites. Moab became terrified. The nation of Moab, led by Balak, became terrified of the people, of the Jewish people, for they were numerous. And Moab became disgusted because of the children of Israel. So it begins, you know, if you look at the verbs, so it begins with the king seeing, and the nation becomes terrified. Then the nation becomes disgusted. Disgusted is an interesting is an interesting word. Disgusted. What does that mean? Like, oh, we don't. But it means it, it moves from fear to a sense of dehumanizing, dehumanizing and, and hate. So Moab, this nation led by Balak, said to the elders of Midian, which is another another nation. Now this assembly will eat up everything around us as the ox eats up the greens of the field. In other words, this people are going to destroy everything in their wake, referring to the Jewish people. Balak, the son of Tzipor, was the king of Moab at that time. Okay, well, I mean, I'm, I said that before, but the Torah clarifies. So what's happening here is Balak, the king of Moab, sees what the Jews had done. He becomes terrified and, you know, and, and hateful. His people become terrified and hateful, and they send messengers to the elders, to the, to the leaders of Midian, also spreading this fear, spreading this, we have to do something ism about the Jewish people. So he sent messengers, did Balak, to Balaam. I know we have a lot of moving pieces here, a lot of, a lot of names here. But anyway, Balak, the king of Moab, sent messengers to Balaam, the son of Ba'ar, to Pithar, that's where he was 
which is by the river of the land of his people, to call for him. But who is Balaam? Balaam was a prophet. Balaam was a prophet who used his abilities for nefarious purposes. God gave him spiritual gifts, the gift of prophecy. And what did he use it for? He used it to make a buck. Before we continue, you know, there's, uh, there's, you know, sometimes people ask these questions in person or online. Like if you had a superpower, what would you use it for? If you could fly, what would you use it for? If you could be invisible, what would you use it for? If you could tell the future, what would you use it for? Would you use it for personal gain? Would you use it for some higher, you know, for some greater good? Right? If you could, if you could tell it, transport yourself anywhere right now, would you transport yourself to a vacation spot? Would it be somewhere to help someone else out? To visit with, with a loved one? What would you use your powers for? Balak, sorry, Balaam had this very question um, offered to him. Balaam was given, Bilam in Hebrew, Balaam in English, Balaam was given gifts, spiritual gifts, gifts of prophecy, gifts of communication with God. <coughs> and essentially he was, he was empowered or he was given the, the following choice. What will you do with your abilities? If you could speak with God, <coughs> if you could predict the future, if you could help shape the future, what would you use that gift for? Personal gain? Or the betterment of the world? Moses had that gift and he used it for the betterment of his people. For the betterment of God's plan in the world. Balaam has this gift. Our sages say that Balaam was an equal prophet to Moses, which is very hard to imagine. But what did Balaam use his, his, his abilities for? He used them to make money. He was a prophet for hire. He was a hired gun, a hired prophet. A prophet for profit, as it were. And he made money. He made money off his gifts. If you could predict the future, would you use it to help people and to save lives? Would you use it to make money off of gambling, you know, who's going to win the Super Bowl? Simple question. Now, I know what you're thinking. Why not both? Okay, fine. Maybe. Maybe both. Fine. Perhaps. But again, think about it. Um, what would you use your gifts for? Moses has the gifts. He used it for good. Balaam? Yeah. Nefarious purposes. So immediately we're confronted with the power of choice. The power of choice. All right, back inside. So Balak, the king, sends messengers to Balaam. He tracks him down. He lives in a hut by the river, maybe a mansion by the river. And he calls for him, and here's the message that was sent to the prophet by the king. A people has come out of Egypt, the Jewish people, and behold, they have covered the eye of the land, and they are stationed opposite me. They're knocking at our border. They're knocking at the border of Moab. So now the king sends his message to Balaam, so now please come and curse this people for me. For they are too powerful for me. In other words, if we go to battle, God's going to deliver us into their hand. But I want you to come and curse this people, put a spiritual vex or hex, hex on this people. Perhaps I will be able to wage war against them and drive them out of the land. For I know that whoever you bless is blessed 
and whomever you curse is cursed. And I could use some cursing right now, says the king to the prophet. So the elders of Moab, that's Balak's, the king's nation, and the elders of Midian, that was the other nation that he roped in to help fund, I'm, I'm assuming, to help fund the operation. So the elders of both nations went with magic charms in their hands, not lucky charms, that's the cereal, magic charms in their hands. And they came to Balaam and conveyed Balak's message to him about the people who left Egypt, who are covering the eye of the land, who are going to destroy the nation of Moab and perhaps Midian as well. They conveyed the message, we want you to curse the Jewish people. He said to the messengers, lodge here for the night. Stay overnight. And I will give you an answer when the Lord speaks to me. So apparently, just to clarify, apparently Balaam, the prophet, had a little communicado with God at night. So he says, look, you know, it's not on demand. It's not like I can give you an answer within, you know, 24 minutes. It's not how this works. So stay overnight. And the plan is that tonight when I communicate with God, I'll be able to get the answer. So the Moabite nobles stayed with Balaam. They spent the night. The messengers, the noble messengers. God came to Balaam at night and said, Who are these men with you? Uh, Just let me jump in for a second. You think God didn't know who these people were? I mean, we're talking about God, right? I mean, Balaam's wife might have said, hey, who's, who's, who's in the house? But God is not, uh, yeah, God knows everything. But God is kind of, you know, opening up a conversation. Hey, how's it going? I noticed you have some visitors. Can you tell me more? Right? God is kind of like engaging in conversation. It's like when he says to Adam, Adam's hiding after the sin of the tree of knowledge. It's like, um, it's like Adam, God says to Adam, where are you? God knows where he is. He's just, you know. Starting the convo. Balaam said to God, um, in response to the question, who are these guys? Balak, the son of Tzipor, the king of Moab, has sent them to me, saying, Behold, the people coming out of Egypt, a nation, the Jewish nation, has covered the eye of the earth. Come and curse them for me. Perhaps I'll be able to fight against them and drive them out. By the way, very accurate in conveying the, uh, the communication. God said to Balaam, in response to Balaam's explanation about who these people were, you shall not go with them. You shall not curse the people because they are blessed. God replies unequivocally, mind you. God replies clearly, unequivocally to Balaam, to, to the to the sorry, to the um, messengers, to the noble messengers, saying, do. God replies to Balaam about the messenger saying, do not go with them. Do not curse the Jewish people because they are blessed. This is an absolute clear answer. All right, before we continue with the narrative, let's open up some Rashi's. Okay, Balak saw all that Israel had done to the Amorites. Rashi says, he said, these two kings whom whom we relied on that would be Sichon and Og, could not resist them, we certainly cannot. Those were supposed to be the, um, the muscle 
Those guys, those nations were supposed to be the strong arms, and they fell. We have no chance. We are toast. Consequently, Mo became terrified. Mo became terrified, Rashi says, dread. They became disgusted, Rashi says, they became disgusted with their own lives. As in, I am disgusted with my life. This is an abbreviated verse. Disgusted with my life means that I'm so afraid, I'm so petrified that I feel like I can't even go on living because of the fear that I have, that I'm possessing. That's the way they were feeling at that time. Um, so Moab sent, sent the message to the elders of Midian, Rashi. But did they not always hate each other? As it says, who defeated Midian in the field of Moab, when Midian came against Moab in battle, these two nations were enemies. Why would Moab send message, a message to Midian to join together in trying to curse the Jewish people? Weren't they sworn enemies? Well, they were, Rashi says. However, because of their mutual fear of Israel, they made peace with each other. In other words, yes, they were enemies. But at this point in time, they had a greater common enemy. And at that point, they, uh, they banded together, made peace with each other in order to wage uh, battle against the Jewish people. And what did Moab see to take counsel with Midjan? Since they saw that Israel was supernaturally victorious in their battles. Ah, fascinating. They said the leader of these people, Moses, was raised in Midian. Let us ask them what his character is. They needed some intel from Midian. I mentioned cash. Who knows? Maybe they also wanted to, you know, to, 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 to pony up the cash and pay for it jointly. But either way, the elders of Midian... Um, were sent the message to give them some intel on what makes Moses tick. Moses is their leader. What kind of guy is he? So they told him, the elders of Midian told him, told them, the, the, the representatives from, from Moab, his strength is solely in his mouth. He's not a, a physical warrior. He is a teacher. He's a communicator. He speaks to God, etc., so they said, good, we too will come against them with a man whose strength is in his mouth. And thus they went immediately to Balaam, the prophet who used his mouth to curse people. As the ox eats up, whatever the ox has eaten up no longer contains blessing because the ox uproots the plants it eats. So the Jews are not only going to, going to fight to wage war, they're going to destroy us altogether. At that time... Uh, Balak was the king at that time. He was not entitled to the monarchy. He was one of the Midianite nobles. And when Sichon died, they appointed him over them on a temporary basis. Okay. So they sent messengers to Balaam, son of Baar, to Pithor. What does that mean? Pithorah, Pithorah. Like this money changer to whom everyone rushes coins... So did all the kings rush their letters to him, asking him for advice. So what does that, what, what, what does that mean? Rashi, so look at the parentheses here, or the brackets. In Aramaic, Pithora means table, denoting the counter over which currency transactions take place. Like a shulchan table, and a money changer is called a shulchani. 
Now, according to the simple meaning of the verse, Petar is, is a place name or the name of a place. Let me explain. It says they sent a messenger to the, to the prophet, Balaam Petorah. Simple meaning is, that's where he lived. A place called Pithar. Not to be confused with Perth. That's Australia. This is Pithar. Okay. But Rashi brings another understanding that it's not a name of a place. It signifies how popular of a guy he was. Just like, hear me out for a second. Just like a Pithora, Pithora. Just like a money changer. Because Pithora means uh, the table of a money changer. Just like a money changer is very popular. Everyone has currency, at least, you know, when that's a thing. Currency is like, you know, you need, you need to change your currency. So just like that's a thing. So too, Balaam was a prophet who was very popular amongst everybody. Everybody wanted a piece of him. Everyone, everyone wanted him to curse or bless someone or something. When I went to Yeshiva in London, it was 1996. That's yeah, a long time ago. 1996, I was in Yeshiva in London. I was, I think, 15 years old. Yeah, sounds about right. Was it 95? 96? Who can remember? Anyway, so I, I brought cash with me. Some cash, not a lot of cash. I brought some cash. Maybe they were traveler's checks. Who, who can remember exactly what it, what it was back then? This is before Bitcoin, by the way, just so everyone knows, just setting, setting the stage before like online banking. I don't think online. No, of course not. Online banking wouldn't, wouldn't have been a thing. 1995, 96. The inter, it was on, online banking. Was it a thing? I've, I've been paying my bills online since the 80s. Really? Of oh. course, I'm so computer savvy. Apparently. Apparently. Well, I don't think I was. So I just went down to the bank or got somehow a traveler's text. And then when I got to Yeshiva, there was a guy. There was a guy in Yeshiva. Um, not, not a student, but like, you know, a guy in the community who that's what he did. He was the, the, the you know, one of the side gigs that he had was he was a money changer. He was, uh, you know, he gave you a decent exchange rate. You know, I'm sure he skimmed some off the top or whatever it was. You know, they got to make some money. Hey, Mark. And, uh, and that was it. So I got pounds, right? You changed your dollars and you got pounds. Yeah, it's fantastic. So if I had to go to the corner store to buy some, I had to. If I wanted to go to the corner store to buy some, buy some food or whatever it was, you had some, some English currency, some British currency. That was the way we rolled. And so, you know, the beginning of the yeshiva year, you had all the, all the Americans that came with all their cash and, you know, to exchange. So he was very busy. His table was very busy. Well, guess who's, guess who else was very busy back in the day? You got it. It was Balaam, the evil prophet. He was very busy. He had a lot of blessings and curses to, to give out. So that was the deal. And of course, he took some, some money on the top or off the top or in exchange for his blessings and curses back inside rashi the land of his people i.e bullock's people he came from there this one balam prophecy telling him you are destined to rule now if you ask why did god bestow his shechina holy gifts on a wicked gentile 
The answer is that the nation should not have an excuse to say, had we had prophets, we would have repented. Right? The nations of the world could have said, you know what? If we had been given a Moses, we would be righteous. God says, you sure? I'll give you a Moses. His name is, ba- his name is Balaam. And we'll see. So he assigned them, God assigned them prophets, but they breached the morally accepted barrier. For at first they had refrained from immorality, but Balaam advised them to offer themselves freely for prostitution. In other words, to explain. At the end of the Torah portion, when Balaam can't curse the Jewish people, he says, okay, here's my advice. He says to the daughters of Midian, send, uh, says to the Midianites, send your daughters and the Moabites also, send your daughters to entice the Jewish men into immoral behavior, right? Immoral, intimate behavior, as well as idolatry. Great. So before, they had respected their own daughters, and now they were using their daughters to try to ensnare the Jewish men in, um, in untoward acts. And it worked, by the way, which is, you know, says something about the Jewish men, but that's, we'll leave that for toward the end of the Torah portion. But what it means for the people is that what happened is they, they were so intent on cursing or bringing down the Jewish people that they, that they listened to this guy's advice, the prophet's advice. And what was his advice? Breach your own moral code, your own family, your own national, your own moral code of you know, values and, and, and respecting their own daughters. No, it, you know, this is his advice to send out the daughters to go entice the Jewish men in immoral activity. Great. That's what they use their prophet for. They use their prophet, they use his prophetic abilities for immorality. Not only to harm others, but for immoral purposes for themselves, for their own people, for their own daughters. It just goes to show you what they use their their prophecy for. I asked at the beginning of the class, right? If you and I, if, if you had a gift... If you had a gift of prophecy, a gift of telling the future, a gift of invisibility, a gift of teletransportation, what would you do with that? What would you do with it? Again, you don't have to answer. I'm not putting anyone on the spot here. It's just a, it's just a, sometimes it's a fun question, but in this case, it's an introspective question. And the question is, for these nations, you know, God says, okay, I'm going to give you a gift, a gift of prophecy, a gift of blessing and cursing. So how are you going to use it? We see how it ends. That's not nice. They used it to their own debasement. That's not, that's not good. All right, back inside. Back inside. Um, okay. To call for him, they went to call for Balaam the prophet. This invitation was for him, i.e. for his benefit. For he promised him, the king promised the prophet, a large sum of money for his services. Um, a people has come out for Egypt, and if you should, shall ask, how does it harm you? Behold, they have covered the eye of the land. Sichon and Og, who were our guardians, they attacked them and killed them. Sichon, the king of the, Emir, the, uh, the Amorites, and Og, the king of Bashan, they were killed. Last week's Torah, and the last week's Torah portion, the Jewish people uh, um, wiped them out or, or defeated them in battle. So they've covered the eye of the land. They are now, you know, encroaching. They're getting closer and they're destroying everything in their wake. They are stationed opposite me. The word Mamuli is spelled effectively lacking above. They are close by, ready to cut me down. As in, for I will cut them down, Amilim. They're going to cut them down. 
All right, so now the, here's, the, here's the, the request. Please come and curse, curse the people, curse the Jewish people. Perhaps I'll be able to wage war, Rashi says. I with my nation will wage war against them um, or deduct, i.e. diminish them somewhat. Either we'll be, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll wipe the floor with them or at least their power will be diminished. For I know through the war of Sichon against Moab, you helped him defeat Moab. So you helped Sichon defeat Moab. So now I want your efforts. I want your, uh, your skill or your blessing, your curses to help defeat the Jewish people. Okay, so they sent messengers, the elders of Moab, the elders of Midian. They sent the most chashav. In Hebrew, chashav means the most important. They didn't just send any messengers. They sent the, the important people from these two nations uh, to Balaam to convince him to come with them and to, to curse the Jewish people, God forbid. And they came with the magic charms. What does that mean? Rashi, all types of charms. So he could not say, I don't have my tools with me. I love that. Balaam would be like, oh, I'm fresh out of uh, my crystal ball. No, 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 we're bringing our own crystal ball. We got it. We got it. You don't need to bring your own tools. We got your tools. Another interpretation, the elders of Midian took this omen with them. Saying, if he comes with us this time, there is something to him. But if he pushes us off, he's useless. Thus, when he said, lodge here for the night, they said he's hopeless. So they left him and went away. As it says, the Moabite nobles stay with Balaam, but the Midianite elders left. Very, very interesting. There were two elders, the Moabite elders and the Midianite elders. The Midianite elders made a deal. They made their own omen. It's kind of like, remember when Eliezer, the servant of Abraham, went to look for a spouse, to look for a shirk for, for Isaac, and he said, if a girl approaches and I ask for water and feeds the camels and the donkeys and then also gives me, then that will be the one? Okay, they also made a deal. They said, if he says yes right away to curse the Jewish people, we got, we got, we got, a, good, we got a good match. If he pushes us off, then, then it's over. Now, it's not like they knew what's in his heart, but that was their omen. That was like kind of the sign, the deal that they were making with God and the universe. And so when, when Balaam says, you got to stay the night, the Midianites said, all right, it's out. It's not going to work. But the Moabites, they didn't have that deal in their own mind, so they stayed the night, and that's where the drama continues. Very interesting little, little um, wrinkle of the story that we just read. He said, lodge here for the night. The divine spirit rested on him only at night, as I mentioned when we read it. And the same applied to all Gentile prophets. So it was with Laban that God came to him in a dream at night. As it says, God came to Laban the Aramite in a dream at night, like a man going to his concubine in secret. Oh my gosh. Wow. Rashi says, like a man going to his concubine in secret. Little, uh, little fling, little nighttime fling, a little... Uh, Wants to keep it on the down low. So God's like, all right, I'm going to go see Balaam now. Just like, hopefully no, Moses doesn't see it. <laughs> this is wild, right? Hopefully like no one's going to know that I'm meeting with these, you know, evil prophets at night to, to, uh, to hop a little schmooze, a little tryst, spiritual tryst action, if that's the right word. All right, back inside. Rabbi Yeah. I have an interesting note here. Yeah. It's from uh, Vayikra Rabbah. Okay. Talmud or what? That's the Midrash. Midrash. It says a man generally takes a concubine unwillingly due to the pressure due to the pressure of his lust. He therefore maintains contact with her furtively. Similarly, God granted prophecy to, to Balaam only because of the pressure 
lest the non-Jewish nations accuse him of being unfair. As Rashi stated in his comments to, to the verse. Interesting. Although I would say that, you know, that's that's a bit of an older school teaching. <laughs> a man has no option. His lust. I mean, what are you going to do, right? I, what are you... Uh, yeah. Men will be men. I, I mean, I'm just... But I understand the nimshal with God. God actually was forced to meet with Balaam because the people would have, the nations would have said, you never gave us a chance. You never gave us prophecy. What do you expect? We never had divine guidance. How could we ever have been moral and upstanding? So God says, you know what? I'll give you a prophet. So, but uh, he's still seeing him on the side. It's still like a little bit of a... <laughs> You know, meeting him under the under the cover of night. All right, back inside. Back inside. Yeah. God is like a man going to a concubine? That's exactly what it's saying. Yes. Is that crazy? It is. That's exactly what it's saying. Yes. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. It's wild. It's a wild it's a wild idea. But it but it makes sense. In other words, it's yeah. The way the Medrash uh, frames it, it's like, you don't really want to, but you have to. So God didn't really want to. He has to. But I, I don't know. I'm not going to like humans off the humans, human males. I'm not going to let men off the hook so easily and say, oh, I had to. I had no other option. So they just did it quietly. You know, at least the kids won't know. I mean, it's, it's ridiculous. Um, yeah. What would the Rambam have said about that? I, that metaphor toward man, he would have liked it. I would imagine, yeah. I mean, it's, yeah. yeah it's, but anyway, the point is, it's done furtively like other things are done under, under the cover of darkness. Um, anyway, it's an, it's an interesting Rashi from the Medrash. All right, when the Lord speaks to me. Oh, so that's why Balaam says, stay overnight, stay tonight, and I'll let you know in the morning. If he advises me to go with people like you, I'll go with you. But perhaps it is beneath his dignity to allow me to go with anyone but higher-ranking nobles than you. Oh, I love that. He's basically telling them, like, look, I mean, if he says fine, fine. But if he says no, maybe it's because you're not chasha. Maybe you're not, you're, not, you're not important enough. Maybe it's a, it's, a, it's a you thing, not a me thing. Very interesting. Um, God says, who are these men with you? It came to delude him. Uh, God meant, I'm fast forwarding a few lines, God meant to enter into a conversation with him. Like Rashi says on Voracious, where God, I mentioned this when we read it, when God says to Adam, where are you? Right, but it came to Balaam to delude him, for he erred. Balaam said, sometimes not everything is revealed before him, for he is not always omniscient. I will find a time when I am able to curse, and he will not realize it. In other words, when God said, who are these people? So Balaam's like, aha! Aha, God doesn't know everything. Ah, if he doesn't know everything, then maybe I can also curse them. I can also sneak in when God's unaware. God has his eye off the butt. Like his, you know, he's, not, he's not watching. He's not watching everything. He doesn't know of everything going on. Clearly, these guys snuck into my house, and God's like, did somebody, who, who is that? Ah, he doesn't know. Perfect. Let's try to manufacture some other uh, scenario that he doesn't know to my benefit and my cash flow. Balak, the son of Tzipar, not Zippar, Tzipar, although I am not important in your eyes, I am considered important in the eyes of the kings. Okay, that was a little bit of a, a humble posture he was taking with God. 
Um, curse it. The expression used by Balaam is stronger than the Ara, the word used by Balak, for it specifies and details the curse. Okay, fine. Drive it out of this world. Balak said only, and I will drive him out of the land. His intention was, I only want to drive, get, get them away from me. But Balaam hated them even more than Balak, because when Balaam was repeating to God what the curse would be, he says, drive them out. Full stop. So the king said, I want you to curse them and drive them out of the land. And Balaam, the prophet, said to God, hey, they want me to drive the Jewish, curse the people and drive them out. His intention was to get rid of them altogether, which means that he actually hated them more than the king. He wasn't going to tell the king that. He was still going to collect them the money for it. Not like an Ahasuerus Haman thing where he's like, keep the money. I want to get rid of them anyway. Um, anyway, nonetheless. Okay, God says to him in response, you shall not go with him. So Balaam the prophet says to God back, if so, I will curse them in my place. So I, fine, I won't go with them, but I'll curse long distance. God replied to him, you shall not curse the people. He said, if so, I will bless them. God replied, they do not need your blessing, for they are already blessed. By the way, that's how Rashi explains the verse. Let's read it. Let's read the verse itself. God says, you shall not go with them. Balaam says, okay, I'll stay here and curse. No, you shall not curse. Fine, I'll bless them. No, they're already blessed. Balaam, we don't need your blessings. We don't need your curses. As the saying goes, we say to the wasp or the bee, I love how other editions have it as the bee. Whatever. A stinging insect. Neither your honey nor your sting. I don't want your sting. I don't even want your honey. Stay away, Mr. Bee. Stay away, Mr. Wasp. I don't want any of it. And of course, I need to tell the story of my grandfather, my beloved grandfather of blessed memory, who told me that when he was a kid, he went to summer camp in the Catskill Mountains. He went with uh, his good friends, including Shlomo Karabach, you know, the famous uh, Jewish musician. He was a buddy of his from Yeshiva. Anyway, they went to the summer camp and he sees, it might have been a hole in the ground or something. And he sees, I don't know if he saw a wasp or two. He decided to throw something at it or jam something in it. He was a kid. The next thing you know, a swarm of wasps flew out and started chasing him. He was running. And then eventually, I think he got stung a bunch of times. Eventually, I think he went into the water or something, went to, you know, found some water. And he would often tell that story. My mother would remember the details, but that's what I recall hearing from him about his encounter with, with the wasp's nest. I think the moral of the story was, don't mess with the wasps. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's the moral that I took from that story. But anyway, we say to the wasp, you know, I'd rather you stay away altogether. Or the bee, I don't know if wasps don't produce honey, right? Wasps don't have honey. It's got to be a bee, right? Do wasps make honey? No. No. I guess they all do. I don't, I, maybe not that we eat, but maybe honey. I, which, uh, yes, so I don't know. I mean, that, Mark, that's very sweet of you for uh, ascribing <laughs> that to the wasp. No, anyway, I have no idea. I'm not, you know, I'm not uh, an expert in this field. I will say that it makes sense for the bee. We say to the bee, you know what? I'd rather not hang out together. So I know you're offering your honey, but I, you know what? Just I won't take your honey. I won't take your sting. Just, you know, let's, we'll each go our own ways. And so that's kind of what 
God says to uh, Balaam, we don't need your blessings either. We don't need your blessings, your curses. The Jewish people don't need your blessings, curses. Just um, stay home. You're good. Everything's good here. So God is very, you know, very definitive with, um, with Balaam's request. He says, hey, these guys came to me. He, they want to know if I can go curse the Jewish people. God says, no, don't. All right, let's continue the narrative because the story is just, just heating up. Reading number two, Numbers chapter 22, verse 13. When Balaam arose in the morning, he said to Balak's nobles, remember the other ones went home because like, this guy pushed us off, the omen is gone. So he said to Balak's nobles, that means the nobles of Moab, return to your country for the Lord has refused to let me go with you. Again, he still alludes to the fact, with you, aha, you guys are not important enough. Maybe you didn't bring enough uh, buttering up gifts or whatever it is. Yeah, I can't go with you. Moab's nobles arose and came to Balak. They came back to the king and they said, Balaam refuses to come with us. He said, no. But again, the emphasis is on come with us, implying that maybe if someone else did the asking, maybe he would say yes. So Balak continued to send dignitaries. Aha, it fits into the narrative. Balaam continued to send dignitaries more and higher in rank than these, people that were a little bit more honored, a little bit more wealthy perhaps, a little bit more noble. They came to Balaam and they said to him, so said Balak, the son of Tzipor, please do not hesitate to come to me, for I will honor you greatly and do whatever you tell me to do. The check is blank. So please come and curse this people for me. I'm already considering it, man. I'm kidding, I'm kidding. That was a joke. The check is blank. Whatever you need, whatever you want, it's yours. Just come and curse this people for me. Balaam answered, and he said to the servants, it seems like he answers, not it seems like, he answers right away. Even if Balak gives me a house full of silver and gold, he's already stating his intention of what he wants to collect on, I cannot do anything small or great that would transgress the word of the Lord my God. In other words, I would really love to, and my price is a house full of silver and gold, but I still need to check in with the big boss. Now you too, please remain here overnight, and I will know what the Lord will continue to speak with me. So he says to these second set of messengers who were more honored, more noble than the first, who came with, who came with a blank check. He said, look, I'd love to cash in on this, but I got to check in with God overnight. God came to Balaam at night. He came to him that night and said to him, if these men have come to call for you, arise and go with them. God now relents. God says, okay, you can go. But the word I speak to you, that you shall do. You can only say what I tell you you can say. That's the deal. That's the condition. You can go, but when you open your mouth, out will come what I want you to say, not what you want you to say, not what they want you to say. So you, you're, they're going to want you to curse the Jewish people. You're going to want to curse and collect money. And I, I have my own intentions as God. You can go, but it's not going to end the way you are thinking. That is the second reading, a short reading. Let's do Rashi. Um, Balaam says to the, to the initial messengers, God does not let me go with you, only with greater nobles than you. This shows us that he was conceited and unwilling to reveal that he was under the control of the omnipresent. 
except in an arrogant manner. He didn't say that God told me, no, I got, you know, and put his tail between his legs. No, he said, I, you got, you guys are too small for me. You guys are, you guys are too, um, are too small for me, for my, my stature. Therefore, Balak sent again more noble messengers. For I will honor you greatly. That was the promise that came with the second uh, delegation. I will give you more than you have ever received in the past. I will give you more honor and more guilt than ever before. Balaam answers the servants, the messengers, even if you give me a house full of silver and gold, Rashi. It shows us that he was greedy and coveted other people's money. Means it indicates what he was thinking about. He was thinking about a house full of silver and gold. He said he ought to give me all his silver and gold since he has to hire many armies. And even then it is questionable whether or not he will be victorious. Whereas I will certainly succeed. It's interesting. He made a calculation of this guy's money. He said, look, if I don't take the gig, this guy's going to have to hire generals and armies and everything. It's going to cost him a ton of money. I'm one guy, but I'll get the job done. I'm going to save you all this money. So you should pay me the equivalent they would have to pay all these armies. All right. Well, there you go. That commands a high price. Um, however, even if you did give me a house full of silver and gold, which is what he wanted, I cannot transgress. He, unwitt- he unwillingly admitted that he was under the control of others. Here he prophesied that he could not annul the blessings with which the patriarchs have been blessed by the mouth of the divine presence. I cannot transgress. I cannot go against God's stated intention and God's state of blessings. Okay, even he admitted that he will be powerless to do so. Um, You too. Now you too, please remain here overnight. Rashi, his mouth tripped him up into telling him the truth. You too will end up leaving disappointed like the first group. In other words, even if I go with you, it's going to end in disappointment. And uh, stay here overnight to see what the Lord will continue. He He will not change his mind from blessing to a curse. But if only he does not continue to bless them. In other words, maybe he won't allow me to curse them, but maybe he will also stop the blessings from, additional blessings from flowing. Here he prophesied that God would add to the blessings through him. And it, won't, it won't stop, it will continue magnifying and increasing. God came to him and said, if these men have come to call for you, if the calling is for you, and you expect payment for it, arise and go with them. God says, essentially, I would hate to get in the way of a man's livelihood. <laughs> this is... Your Parnassa, if this is uh, your cash flow and you want to do it, okay. But in spite of yourself, the word I will speak to you that you shall do. In other words, despite your intentions, you're only going to be able to share exactly what I tell you to share. Nevertheless, Balaam went. He said, perhaps I can persuade God and he will consent to my cursing them. He thought he could still somehow convince God that his intention, that his plan made sense very arrogant we see here a prophet who's trying to manipulate the situation moses again a a tale of two prophets moses doesn't have his own agenda moses conveys the word of god to the people moses conveys the word of god to us through, through torah that's that's what it is god's will and wisdom moses pushes back when it's going to hurt the jewish people he pushes back and he advocates it's one thing Balaam, this prophet, this evil prophet, oh, he's got his own agenda. He wants to curse. He wants to get money. It's for himself. It's against the Jewish people. God says, you can't. He says, I really want to. 
God says eventually, do whatever you want. Do whatever you want. But, but, but what you want is not going to be successful. In other words, you're not going to end up cursing the people. You're going to end up disgraced. You're not going to end up honored. But you want to go ahead? You, you want to do it that way? You want to do it the hard way? Fine. Basically, I'm trying to answer a question. Let me, let me ask the question. Let me answer it. The question is, did God change his mind? Because initially God says, don't go. And then the second delegation comes and God says, okay, fine, go. Is God changing his mind? He's not changing his mind. God is saying the answer is still no. The answer is still don't curse them. You can't curse them. They're, they're blessed. That's still the answer. You're telling me that you really, 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 really want to go? That your money is dependent on That your honor is dependent on it? God says, fine, go. But you're still not going to achieve the objective that you and them want. In other words, I'm telling you, don't bother going because they're blessed. You're not going to curse them. And you say, but I want to go. Fine, go. Knock yourself out. You're still not going to curse them. That's the point. So often in life, we drive ourselves crazy trying to move immovable things. So often in life, we drive ourselves and others, meshuga, because we're like slamming our head against a brick wall trying to change something that will not change. So it's important in life to recognize what can be changed, what cannot be changed. What can be changed, we can change ourselves, we can improve ourselves. What cannot be changed is Torah, mitzvot, God's will, that cannot be changed. Yes, there is a way to pray for God's will to be changed for the benefit and the blessing of someone, but not for the detriment. Not may God make things worse. That's not going to happen for the Jewish people. It's not going to happen. But again, personalizing it in life, it's we, sometimes we waste so much time and effort trying to change something that's just not going to change. It's like what Viktor Frankl wrote in his book, Man's Search for Meaning. When we finally realize, I'm paraphrasing, when we finally realize that we can't, that we couldn't change the circumstances, then we worked on changing ourselves. Or maybe he writes this in general. When, when, when a person realizes they cannot, they, can, they cannot change their circumstances, then they can begin the process of trying to change themselves. And I think that's very powerful. We should not work on, should not expend time and effort and resources to change things that cannot be changed. The stuff that can be changed, definitely. Ourselves, absolutely. Balaam was just barking up the wrong tree. God told him no. He pushed. God says fine. Not that that's a yes. That's still a hard no. But it's a no of do whatever you want. <laughs> Knock yourself out. It's not going to work. But, but you can try it. That's the way Rashi explains it. There are many commentaries on this. Yeah. I have a question. Sure. Uh, looking at the Hebrew, Balaam is Bilam mm-hmm. and Balak is Balak. Uh, both names, again, base Lamed. Balaam in Bila means ends in I and Mem, and Balak ends in Kuf. With I and Mem versus Kuf, is there some meaning to that? Are they just letters? I'm just curious. Very interesting. I and Mem is 70 plus 40, which is 110, and Kuf is 100. So it's 10 off. It's very close, numerologically. It's interesting. I've never, uh, I'm not familiar with the numerology about that, but it's interesting. Very interesting that they're 10. Ten numbers off. Bilam is ten more than Balak. 
Bil'am also means, according to our, the commentaries, uh, we, were, we, have to, we have to look that up and see if there's more numerology. A great place to look for that is the Baal HaTurim. The Baal HaTurim has a lot of numerology. Um, I don't have my Baal HaTurim here. I have it at home. I can look it up and uh, see if I can find something. Uh, I, I, Translated, is there any difference? Is there well, I was, gonna, I was about to say, Bil'am, according to one tradition, is a... Is, is a um, a composite of two words, Beli Am. Beli means without, and Am means a nation. Beli Am. Balaam was a guy who was a free agent. He didn't have his own nation. He wasn't beholden to anybody. He was um, a mercenary. He was a spiritual mercenary. So he was like, uh, he was his own dude, for better or for worse. Beli Am. He had no nation. He had no, he had no um, affiliation. He was ready to curse or bless whomever for a price. Balak, I'm not sure what Balak means. But does Kuf have a meaning in, in, uh, in Hebrew? Kuf itself, no? I don't know. No. I don't know. Not, not really. I mean, the numerology would have some sort of significance, but otherwise. All right, so we'll, we'll pause here for today, or we'll conclude here for today. We're in the middle of the story. But we're up, we're, we've caught up Sunday, Monday, first reading, second reading. We're up to date right now. Um, so a few points to, to walk away with, just things that I mentioned before. Two points. Number one, God has given us, all of us, God has given us abilities, powers. Let's use them for the good, not for the evil. Right? Moses has a tremendous power. He uses it for good. Balaam has a tremendous power, use it for evil. Now, God did that so that they should never, the nation should never say, had we had a prophet, we would have been righteous. God says, okay, look, I'll give you a prophet and you'll see. Use him for like parlor tricks, right? You know, curse this one, curse that one, you know, immorality. It's just, it's terrible. Breakdown of their own moral fabric, of their own society, etc. So again, the, the, first, the first message, the first lesson is we all have gifts. Let's use them wisely. You have a gift, use it wisely. I have a gift, use it wisely. Gifts, plural, not just one, right? Let's use them wisely. Let's be like Moses, not like the opposite. That's message number one. Message number two is let's not waste our time trying to change things that cannot change. Let's change the things that can be changed. First and foremost, within ourselves, and then work on others or work on our relationship with others. But to waste our time with uh, you know, spinning our wheels, that's a waste of time. Bilam, Balam, sorry, Balam, the prophet, a whole Torah portion here, he's going to spin his wheels trying to curse the Jewish people. Spoiler alert, it's not going to happen. He wastes his time. He wastes everyone's time trying to curse something that can't be cursed. So again, in our own lives, let's focus on the things that can be changed. It's like the serenity prayer. right? May God grant me... I don't know how it goes, but something like the ability to change the things that can't be changed, the acceptance of the courage to change the things that need to be changed, and what, how, how does it go after that? And then the the um, and the ability to, to like one of them is like that. The ability to, to let to accept, yeah, to accept the things that cannot be changed, and the wisdom to know the difference. And that's exactly what what this last message here is. It's the ability, the wisdom to know the difference between. What I can do and what I can't do. And if I can't do it, let me just 
channel my energies elsewhere where it can be effective. Also, the um, what was it? The um, one of the things I just read about the devotion. I mean, the whole thing is that God gave us the evil inclination not just for a test, but so we can know the difference, so we can learn what to accept and not accept. Yeah, that's powerful. That's the powerful, right. Yeah, that's good. I like that. I like that, yeah. To have that clarity, the clarity of the contrast. Yeah, so here's the question. Moses or Balaam? That's the question in life. Moses or Balaam? Behind door number one, door number two. Are we using the gifts that we've been given for good or for the opposite? It's not a gotcha question. It's a question that we should ask every time we make a decision what to do with our time or our abilities. Let's, 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 uh, let's think about that. Am I using this for good or for some other distraction? All right. Great to see you all today. Great to study together. Century and Safe Travels. Joy. Enjoy the, uh, the beautiful, I'm sure, and maybe balmy, but beautiful otherwise uh, Florida weather. And all of us locally enjoy life. <laughs> Have a wonderful day. Yom Tov. Let it be a good day. We'll see you all. Take care. See you tomorrow. Take care. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. As always, you can find us online at IntownJewishAcademy.org and on YouTube at IntownJewishAcademy. New episodes of the podcast come out a few times a week. If you don't want to miss a single episode, then hit the subscribe button. If you enjoyed today's episode, please take a moment to leave a rating or review. It means a lot to me and it helps other people find the podcast. Thanks so much for listening and I hope you have a wonderful day.